This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinnies on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen Podcast. I'm Poonam Verma. Uh, today, we find out about a healthy food delivery for kids uh, called Sprout. I also found out what the Food News Roundup is with Panchali Mahendra. We talk chicken with Teagle, uh, marketing manager of Teagle, Craig Harrison. And I talk melons. What's in season right now uh, with Neil Gibson from Spinney's. And on the chef's table, I chat to pastry chef Sahar Alwadi from the Burj Al Arab and chef Avnish from Dialogue. And we talk about an underground supper club by Girl and the Goose. Farmer's Kitchen is live every Thursday from 2 to 5 p.m. Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Now, I have a few friends who have their healthy meals delivered on a daily basis, but now there's one for the kids. It's called Sprout, and Spinney's also carry it. And the co-founder, Katerina, is joining me now. Hello, Katerina. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very... Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. Now, I have to start with the name. I know most kids can't stand Sprouts, let alone adults. Why the name Sprout? (laughs) <laughs> so it was kind of a, well, one, because sprouts are these tiny little things that you need to feed and, you know, nourish and protect in order for them to grow into something larger. So that was kind of the concept behind the name. And obviously that where our food is made so children can grow healthy and obviously be nourished. So it made sense. We felt like, uh, I don't know, there was kind of an affinity to the name. We said it should be Sprout. Mm. Now, now, you're a mom yourself. Why did you start this company mm-hmm. for kids specifically? So I was, I've been a full-time working parent since I had children. I have a three-year-old and a now seven-year-old. So when uh, my business partner met with me and she said, I'm starting this idea, she's a uh, nutrition expert, a nutrition scientist, actually. And uh, she kind of walked me through the idea and wanted me to help her with the marketing side and the technology side, which is kind of where my specialty is at. And so when we met and she kind of walked me through the idea of what she wanted to do, for some reason, I I was just like, yes, where where have you been all these years since I had children? (laughs) Uh, I just feel like as a working parent, it's so hard to toggle everything you have to do. And when it comes to nutrition, especially if it's at the forefront. So for example, in my family, I'm very passionate about my kids eating clean, at least at home. So I felt like this was, and it's always been such a hassle for me to get out of work, depending on what time you're there, you know, get out, make something quick for dinner, or it's, I don't know, I was a little bit reluctant to outsource it. Just having a company that you can trust in, that you create meals, that's something that's balanced, something that is healthy, but based on science healthy, not just because I, you know, heard it somewhere or I read it in a blog, based on actual data. And that was kind of a big deal, and that gave me trust into what we're doing here um and so when i met oz and she kind of walked me through what she wanted to do i i was in i was like let's do this this is this is big this is what i wish i had all these years so what kind of food are we going to find at sprout what will the kids get so the kids will basically get food i think it's the hardest things that you can make it home or kind of persuade children to eat so for example nobody i I don't know that many people that have a hard time giving their kids chicken nuggets or french fries or plain pasta with butter so at sprout the cool thing is that we we try to find a balance in the food all of our meals are whole food Mm plant-based the reason for this is because those are the hardest things to feed children right so the concept was how do we get one jar day 
into our kids with whole food plant-based. So this would basically mean all of our jars have whole grains, all of our jars have legumes and beans, which I know to most kids, when they hear that, especially children from the West, they're just like, I mean, I know mine are. So it's great that actually all of our dishes have legumes and beans, vegetables, as many as we possibly can, and uh, if and where possible, nuts and seeds. Are there any little sweet treats there as well that are healthy for them? Yeah, I mean, we have a breakfast porridge that made out of cocoa that's a a little bit sweet, Mm -hmm. and we are working on a series of snacks, but the concept behind it was one jar a day that can cover all of these food groups that are difficult for parents to kind of feed their children. So we'll make foods, and you'll find these at Spinney's as well. We'll make a mac and cheese. Well, it's actually called mac ain't cheese, in case you didn't hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then we make a dish called Easy Peasy Bolognese, which is basically based off a traditional bolognese, but it actually has three different types of sprouted lentils. And then it has, of course, all the spices and vegetables to make it taste like a bolognese. Oh, amazing. So how about portion size for the kids? Right. So we have we do have two different types of portions. One is a toddler size. So it's between the ages of one to four. Um, we're not baby food, so we don't make purees. Uh, these are definitely for children that are starting to kind of interact with food and they want to touch it and feel it. And it, it makes a mess, but at the end, I think it's worth it. <laughs> and then we also have jars, which are a little bit larger. They are for children between the ages of five and 10. And all of our foods are super, super low in oil. And in salt. If you have, for example, a child that might be used to eating a little bit more salty foods or a little more, uh, you know, higher oil, then, you know, we always say start by adding a little olive oil or a little bit of salt and then you can gradually work it down. So our salt, the, uh, the amount of salt that we put in, if and where, is based on FDA guidelines for what it should be adequate for children. And um, I know that Spinney's carry um, the brand and you actually deliver it as well directly to people's homes? Yes, we actually, on our website, we have over 20 meals and we have some breakfast item and we also have popsicles, which are great for teasing, by the way. (laughs) Spinney's carries our four kind of top sellers Mm -hmm. and the easiest ones. Um, And that's, uh, we have a Kung Fu rice, which is based on a traditional kind of Asian fried rice without any of the frying or the dairy. Then we have an x-ray vision potion, which is like a mashed potato base with a a lentil kind of stew on top. And then, as I said, the mac and cheese and the bolognese. But our website has over 20 meals that changes every week. We have around, I think, uh, between 9 and 12 meals every week, and they change. What kind of feedback have the parents and the kids given you since this has started? Um, we've been, I mean, we've been really lucky. We actually launched as soon as everything shut down, oh. uh, which kind of caused a little bit of a panic. But um, we've been really lucky in the sense that we've had a lot of kind of really loyal customers and really, they've really kind of helped uh, put the word out and get our brand out there. So um, it, it's great because through word of mouth, we'll have like some parents that will invite other parents. For us, like the starting point and the younger toddlers, because they're more accepting and they're more willing to kind of dip their hands in the food mm. and play with it, has been really a great experience. We get a lot of really good feedback. And we also offer a sprout commitment to parents, which basically means that if your child tries a food and they're, they, they don't accept it, we will send the same jar for free with your next order. And the reason we do that is because research says that it might take up to 15 times for a child to actually accept a food. Oh. There's various different, different factors as to why they may not. So we, we want to really support parents on that kind of venture to have their children try different flavors and different textures. Mm. So we created this commitment to parents and we'll happily send a free jar of the same food for them to try. And I think that's been really, that helps parents kind of understand that we're, we're really there to support them on this food journey and to help them, you know, expand their children's palate. 
You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. I've been chatting with Sprout co-founder Katarina. They deliver healthy meals to kids. Their products are also available at Spinneys. And I was telling her about how my mum would mash my vegetables for my brother and I'd finish the leftovers. And to this day... I still mash my veggies. It's all about creating good habits. Here's Katerina. It's amazing. A lot of these things start actually in in childhood. You know, your appreciation for food, your appreciation for different flavors. And I think one of the reasons that we, I mean, something that Oz and I are very passionate about is that things that are marketed as kind of children's food right now on the menus and restaurants and out there are really kind of adult junk food. I agree with you completely. It's always burgers, chicken nuggets, um, pastas. And and pizza. Yeah. And, you know, and it's things that we as adults, we consciously make a decision. We say, okay, I'm going to have a burger and fries today, and then I'll probably balance it out the next few days with something healthier and cleaner. Um, but children don't get that option. And the problem is, like, if you start and that becomes the baseline, mm. that's kind of what they expect every day to eat. It's true. And we're really, we're really kind of trying to change that mentality and get a more, you know, not keep their palate as limited and also, you know, get rid of the whole, you know, ultra processed food loaded with saturated fat. How do we get our How does that become the treat or the once in a while and not the normal everyday meal that they expect and have? You're completely right. It does start at childhood, whatever your parents introduce you to. I mean, you know, you look at young children in Japan, they grow up eating fresh fish. It's normal to them. Yes. And, yes. It, you know, they're not going to choose chips. They even have them for have it for breakfast. So it, it really matters how we've grown up and what we want to pass on. Are there um, any, like, uh, chronic diseases in the world that we can prevent if we feed the kids well today that can help us in the future? That's a really interesting question, actually, because... Uh, I'm not a nutrition expert. I've I've been learning as I've been a part of Sprout, and I've been surrounded by all these people who this is their field and this is what they do. And one of the things that really blew me away was that the top three chronic lifestyle diseases in the world right now, which are basically heart disease, diabetes, and obesity, mm-hmm. they are preventable by a healthy diet. Um, and to some degree, they are reversible as well. But what's even crazier is that these actually start in childhood. So, for example... For, uh, we have diabetes in my family. Yeah. Uh, we also have heart. We also have heart disease. These cells are somewhere lurking within me. No, I, like I can either, depending on my lifestyle and what I eat, I either feed them or I keep them dormant. Mm. You know, and I don't think we realize what an impact. Like how, this, this exists today with children. My children as well. They yeah. still have these cells kind of lurking in their body. So either I feed it or I keep it dormant. And I have to help them make good decisions on food today, starting today. It doesn't matter that they're three and seven, because this will define how they will eat in the future. But that was really kind of a shocking stat for me that I didn't realize that these three were 100% preventable by uh, nutrition and lifestyle, which I think is something we kind of need to consider when we look back at our food ecosystem mm. and what and how we're feeding our children. We all hear about um, being in adults, uh, being adults, that fiber is really important. Is fiber just as important for kids? Yes. So fiber was the one thing that it's funny. It's, it's this kind of lurking conversation at Sprout. It, does it have fiber? If it doesn't have fiber, don't bother eating it. Does it have fiber? More fiber. Fiber this, <laughs> which is great. And what I learned, again, I'm not a nutritionist, but I, I've actually learned now that, you know, you turn the nutrition fact label over mm. in any package and you look at it. And if there's no fiber in it, the nutritional value is probably slim to none. Wow. If, yeah. So it's kind of, and so now that's kind of become my definition of whether I will buy something or not. If something is stripped out 
of fiber or it doesn't have it to begin with, it, it's more like maybe a treat. It's probably not even worth giving to your child. Okay. So, and same for an adult, I'm assuming, too. Yes. Okay. But, you know, again, as adults, we make these decisions. Yeah. So we know we'll eat something a little bit, you know, not so great, and then we can make up for it. We're old enough and mature enough to make these decisions. For children, it's really hard, and I think you know how easy it is to get addicted to, like, carbs or sugar. So it's a matter of of kind of balancing that out and giving them, you know, the palate to start with and not to be craving sugars and craving, you know, white carbs. I wanted to ask you about uh, decoding deceitful food labels where you say, oh, it's got no added sugar, it's all natural. Can we trust these labels? (laughs) And you're laughing, you're like, "Mm -hmm." I'm laughing because that was such a huge learning curve for me. Like I, I, you know, we kind of have a, there's a running joke at Sprout where I'm a, a front of the pack mom mm-hmm. and my partner is the back of the pack mom because she can actually read. <laughs> she finds it entertaining too. So she, the back, she can actually read the ingredients and read the nutrition pack label and, and understand it and decipher it. Yeah. Um, I am a front of the pack mom because I will read the two, three things on the front of the pack and kind of trust trust what that says or trust that that benefit outweighs everything else, Mm -hmm. which is really unfair because I feel like a lot of this information is kind of tricked into the background so you don't know what you're seeing. So, for example, there's a lot of packages that I'll see now that say sugar-free and then you have to turn the back and see the ingredients. And sugar-free means, okay, yeah, maybe white sugar-free, but sugar comes in so many different forms. Most of them are not good for you. So it might have another name, so like fruit concentrate. And it will be labeled as sugar-free, but there's fruit concentrate in it, which is basically sugar. Um, And there's a lot of little terms like that. And it's really interesting that, you know, unless you're actually trained in nutrition or to understand and spend a lot of time Googling these ingredients to see what they are, it's not easy to kind of decipher them. But, you know, if anybody has any questions, you could always log on to sprout.ae, shoot us a message or a WhatsApp. We will happily help you decipher them or give any advice that we'd be happy to do that. Okay, that's amazing. So I hope that this is going to sound so cheesy. I hope that Sprout sprouts <laughs> to new heights and gets all the kids all healthy out there. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I, uh, I'm, I'm hoping your wish too. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. So uh, it's me, Poonam, with you till 5pm. Helen is taking a little bit of a break. Now it's time for the Food News Roundup. And we're discussing everything you need to know when it comes to the world of food. And joining me is um, a lady who has one is the first woman in the F&B sector to get a golden visa. Her name is Pinchali Mahindra. She's a managing director of Atelier House Hospitality, which is the company behind the restaurants, Maria and Mahala. And she is a contact I want to know because if she's won the golden visa in F&B, I'm assuming, Pinchali, you can get me into any restaurant if there's a, is there a, if there's a queue. Can you help me with this? <laughs> Hi, good afternoon, Poonam. Hi, Pinchali. How are you? I am excited, happy, and so glad to be talking to you right now. So first of all, many, many congratulations on this golden visa. I mean, how did you get that and how did you feel once you found out? (laughs) Listen, it's been a week and it is still not sunken yet. It's only been a week? It's been a week, yes. Wow. So so who contacted you? How did you find out? So um, I got um, an accreditation letter from the Dubai Culture uh, congratulating me that uh, I had received uh, a golden visa 
for my contribution for the last decade in the culinary arts mm-hmm. um, on, of special talent. So they sent me a letter and then I had to go and apply at the GDFRA. And then once the whole process went through, then GDFRA congratulated me, called me and handed over the wonderful news and the visa in my hand. So, so tell everybody, what does it mean when you get old golden visa? What are the benefits of this? I think um, in, in a certain way, from my expectation, it, it is a form of a first citizenship that the country is moving ah, towards. Yeah. And, um, I think it's, it's, it's an access for you to not go through the whole process of you know, medicals and insurances every two or three years. Mm. And, uh, you can leave the country and work or travel for more than six months. So your visa is actually valid for all 10 years. And automatically, every 10 years, it gets uh, renewed. So I think it gives you a sense of stability. It gives you a sense of you have a second home. I am, um, I can start building a future here. I, you know, I'm married. I have a husband. So we feel a bit more, you know, attached to the country right now. Oh, so, well, many, many congratulations. Now, being, you know, the first woman in FNB to win it, uh, sorry, to be given it, um, is the FNB, in your opinion, still a very much male-dominated industry? I think um, to the last five or six years, um, it, it, even today, it is uh, male-dominated. Mm. And what surprises me is that, you know, when you go to a culinary school or a university, the, the ratio of um, male to women is almost like, you know, 50-50 or sometimes 60-40%. But the outcomes in the longer run in, in the industry kind of the ratio goes down. But uh, I think the last couple of years, I have seen an enormous change and, and women stepping up and coming in in very solid and significant positions. Mm. I think it has a lot to do to push and for women to come to know each other and also support. Um, I, I was surprised two, three years back when um, many other publications and, and you know, media companies like yourself were talking a lot about women in power and um, you know, all the restaurants and the industry that they run. And it was an eye-opener for me too. So I think with now um, a lot more support, we are coming to know that the, the ratio and the women are emerging themselves in the market. And I wouldn't be surprised in the next decade that we will be, you know, marching ahead um, next to next. So um, we're going to talk about some world food news and world food records. Now, Dubai is known for a lot of world records and the the National has published a list of wacky world records. I'm getting loads of texts from people or the listeners out there texting me some of their uh, food world records they'd like to see happen here in Dubai. I'm just going to read a few. Sean, thank you. You said the biggest Cornish pastry. Uh, Nadia says... The largest chapli kebab. And Sunny says, I would like to see the biggest burger. Now, Sunny, um, I don't know if you know about this, Punjali, but um, about 12, 13, 14 years ago, I had a TV show and I had to film one of the biggest uh, burgers. And it was here at Jamira Beach Hotel. And I don't know if that was... Did you know about this? No. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't witness yeah yeah no i remember i've got pictures of it as well but i'm sure there's a bigger one now since then so let's go go through a list of some wacky ones that my uh, producer zina has found because she's just such as wacky as well as these uh, records now a wisconsin resident donald gorsk consumed more than thirty-two thousand big macs in his lifetime apparently his cholesterol levels are still better than mine, which astonishes me. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Wow. I don't know if it's the same man, and I heard in the news that he was having uh, a mat every day of his life for his breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yes. And he said, if something is already so perfect, why change it? And I'm just going to keep eating it. He so, sounds really boring. I, I, <laughs> you know, it was just so, it just got used to it. And it's like, okay, you know what? All, all the cholesterol, all the fats, everything is taken care of. Plus, you know, people say that you can eat whatever you want in life. Mm. So you have to, you don't need to like not eat burgers and pizzas. You just have to be in a calorie deficit. So probably, you know, just one mac a day wasn't really making him too fat. I, I don't know. I mean, apparently he walks six miles a day too, so he keeps, but I don't know. One thing of anything would bore me. For me, variety is a spice of life. That's just what I live by. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we have another Guinness World Record, and um, mm-hmm. this was quite cute. Uh, there was a video of it. Will Cutbill, uh, he's only 23, and he tried to stack M&Ms on top of each other, and the the maximum amount he could do, and it's difficult, I've seen it, was five. I think I want to oh, wow. go for that. I think I want to, me and Zena, we mm-hmm. should, you and me should get some some of these um, M&Ms, and let's try and do it. In this, we just need an extra one, six. It's not that easy. I've tried. <laughs> I think you need to try this, Pinchali. Then you might get another golden visa for, you know, breaking a world record. Okay. So what do you think about this one during Ramadan? Um, there was a world record broken for the most iftar meals distributed in hours. Do you know how many meals we're talking about here? I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if it's more than a million. Oh, wow. Okay, so apparently I've just read 50,000 donated meals and food parcels in five hours during oh. Ramadan. That is pretty good, actually. So, okay. Just of, sorry, just an act of generosity and, and, and making world records. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have you ever tried caviar, Pinchali? Of course. Oh, you have. It's a very acquired taste. What do you think of it? I think it's very exotic, and like you said, it's very acquired. But because of its subtlety in taste, I think uh, it goes fine with a lot of, uh, you know, good food, whether it's on oysters or whether it is with, uh, you know, cocktails or alcoholic beverages. Um, It just adds that niche and that that sophistication. Okay, well, apparently... um Dubai is now home to the largest tin of caviar. How large it is, I am not quite sure, but I did uh, find out that it is one of the most expensive foods in the world and it can sell up to $35,000 per kilo. That's crazy, no? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the most expensive uh, dishes in the world, and uh, but it has its subtlety, and it has, like I told you, it has its sophistication. And I wouldn't be surprised to buy it, you know. Yeah, but you know, you know, in the 19th century, um, caviar was served the same way you'd serve nuts in a in a in a cafe, and you just uh, eat it because apparently the sturgeon fish there were so many of them before pollution and everything came. You know, it was very easy to come by, but. Anyway, the less there is, the more expensive it is, I suppose. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. So we're talking about uh, world food records and food news with Panchali. She is the first lady in F&B to win the Golden Visa. Now let's get back to these uh, world food records, Panchali. Abu Dhabi, I was here, there actually in Abu Dhabi on the day when this was happening, but I never got a chance to see it. They set a record for its 1,001 ice cream flavors. 
Do you know, can you list all these flavors for me right now? Thank you for putting me on the spot. <laughs> There's only, we, we've got three, two and a half hours. I'm sure you can do it. Let's <laughs> go. Oh, Mango, vanilla, chocolate, dark chocolate, light chocolate, chocolate chip cookies, uh, blueberry, mango, custard apple, um, raspberry. Chocolate. Don't don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I won't let. I, we we have got two and a half hours, but I'll let you talk about other things too. But that's good. Oh. That's pretty good. Are you a fan of ice cream? Who isn't? Oh me, God. me. Honestly, me. Isn't that? You see, I find it kind of. Mm, I like frozen yogurt. I just find ice cream quite sweet. Okay, that's fair. But, uh, I mean, don't you ever have, like, a little bit of melted kind of... Well, uh... (laughs) we actually have um, a freezer full of ice cream that was delivered um, here at the ARN studios. So I have had one. So that is kind of a lie. I'm happy to have it. But, I, yeah, I find it quite sweet. What, What food world record would you like to see Dubai go for next? So, you know, I have two two things in mind. One on, on, on a little funny note, it would have been amazing because you guys are talking about shawarma and, you know, as a dish. Uh, so, first of all, congratulations to Emirates on that amazing marketing video on top of Burj Khalifa. Uh, what would have been interesting is if the crew members just carried a bit of a shawarma as a snack and in between their shot and the video, they would have taken a bite. So, probably that dish would have been one of in the world record as a uh, um, dish eaten on top of the ah, highest building in the world. That's true. You, know? you see, that's why you got the golden visa. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one that I really want probably to even participate in and somebody is doing it, I'm in for it, is to shuck the highest amount of oysters and, and eat them. I, I like that one because I really like oysters. You don't like oysters? I know. I love oysters. I love oysters more than ice cream. Then let's sign up for it. Then we'll we'll organize something and and let's do it. Because you know what, Dubai is home to Dibba Bay, and we have amazing local oysters yeah. available. So we should do something with them and hold the highest shopping and eating oysters. Yeah, but Charlie, I'm up for that. We can enter ourselves in and do that easily. I'm That's sure. Good. You tell me where you want to meet. We'll go and do that. Okay, now, if you guys want to uh, tell us what food record you think Dubai should try next, text us on 4001 or via the ARN app. Um, I want to head a little bit over to Asia. Have you seen a lot of these Asian supermarkets? Um, They're quite the rage now. Have you ever been in one? Like you've got We March, you've got 1004 Gourmet, which is actually next to my house. What do you think of them? I think they're fantastic and they're so clever because of, you know, the expats from Munji growing. I am a personal fan of 1004 Gourmet. Mm. I've been there a number of times because, you know, sometimes you need these specific uh, items and they're actually easily available. And uh, it's so easy to get the right recipe and, uh, you know, the, um, the, the, the taste and everything around it. So, yes, I have been to 1004 Gourmet and long time back, one of my old Japanese team, I've forgotten the name, had taken me to a small Japanese uh, mask behind Lansky Plaza. I was, I was surprised to find it, but that was a fantastic place. Yeah, I got, don't know. 
They right. got some amazing, like quirky Kit Kat flavors. They have see-through Coca-Cola, things like that. And you know what's funny? I'm getting more and more into these. This, this. I mean, I've always been adventurous when it comes to food. I love going to supermarkets. It can be any supermarket. And um, I, I watch a lot of. <laughs> I'm, I watch different international shows on Netflix. I've gone from Spanish to Nigerian. I'm currently doing a Korean series. So all the food they eat, I go to. Uh, 1004 Gourmet to try and find it because I just, oh, it looks so good. Talking about Kit Kat, have you tried the wasabi flavored one? That's, that's, have that's have you? Have you? <laughs> yes, I have. And what would you recommend it? I think it's interesting. I have the weirdest palate. You know, I've just grown up eating, I don't know, all sorts of things, mixing, combining, and I think I'm a wacko that way. But uh, I think it's interesting, you know, that bit of uh, the, the tang, the back of your tongue with the sweetness. I think it's, 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 Clever. It's interesting. Okay. Well, listen, Panjali, I just want to say thank you for uh, sharing all your news, uh, food news with us. And I want to wish you congratulations again um, for the Golden Visa. And I can't wait till you and me break this world record for the most oysters eating. (laughs) Yalla. Let's do it, Poonam. Thank you for your time and and inviting me over. And I'm I'm getting a number after this call. Amazing. Thank you. They will see us in the world record books, me and Pajali's name. Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Now, since 1961, Teagle has been putting chicken on kiwi tables. They offer a huge range of products for the New Zealand's chicken appetite, from nuggets and nibbles to breasts and whole roasts. And they also supply overseas. And here, you will find their products in spinnies. And joining me now, all the way from New Zealand, is Craig Harrison, Teagle's marketing manager. Hello from New Zealand. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Do you know I've never spoken to anyone from New Zealand ever? Can you believe that? <laughs> You're my first. Right. How do you find our accent? <laughs> How is everything there? Um, I mean, are you still guys in lockdown? Are you coping okay? Yeah, it's, it's kind of foreign for us because we've been pretty successful at trying to avoid lockdowns, but we've, we're in our second week of lockdown, I think our third lockdown now. Yeah. Um, so everyone, basically the whole country is at home. Working from home. Well, I'm sure you've got loads of Teagle's products in your freezer to keep you going. So let's talk about that, right? You've been going since the 60s, and I hear you're the market-leading poultry producer in New Zealand. So what do you think is a secret to the longevity of this brand? I think we just we just pride ourselves on quality. So when we develop products, we, we take longer than our competitors because we really make sure that um, the consumers are going to you know, connect with what we're creating. We make sure that our recipes are a top-notch restaurant quality. I think that's probably been one of the key factors for, for me. And you also have a new range in spinnies. Tell us about the range and what kind of flavours, what kind of tastes we're going to find here. And also, do you cater for a particular market? Because the UAE is obviously different to New Zealand. Yeah, so we, we did a bit of research on, on the market in the UAE when we looked at this new range. This new range is a range called Louisiana fried chicken and Nashville fried chicken. That's Nashville Nashville's the hot one. When we developed these products, we sort of scoured the globe trying to find equipment to produce um, you know, authentic fried chicken, you know, American southern southern style American fried chicken. And we, we came across um, a supplier in Germany and we, we ended up paying, you know, a small fortune to, to get this equipment. Um, but it gave us um, you know, a particular quality, what we call it the ruffle effect. 
which we haven't found anywhere else in the world. And, and it's been, you know, it's, it's really replicating that fast food experience, you know, the likes of KFC that, 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 you, that, you, that you get at home. And um, we've managed to do it and just, um, you know, chuck it from the freezer into the oven in 40 minutes and it's good to go. So it's super convenient and, you know, it's a great tasting product at the end of the day. And is it good for kids too? Because, you know, kids love their chicken nuggets. Yeah, like, for example, in New Zealand, a lot of, a lot of kids are actually, um, a lot of parents are, cooking it up the night before and serving it cold and things like wraps um, and sandwiches and this kids' kids' lunches. Um, and it, I guess it's got the added benefit of being baked in an oven, not, not deep-fried. So when mm-hmm. you go to a you know, fast-food restaurant, it's, it's deep-fried on oil. But these products here are um, less fat um, and much healthier and also can be air-fried. And we found out um, that the UAE um, love air fryers. They're one of the biggest markets for air fryers in the world. So this particular product is, is super super perfect for the air fryer it cooks up in a fraction of the time it does in an oven and it remains super crispy and moist in the middle which is what you want from a from a southern fried chicken product yeah so you know chickens you know we hear a lot about them especially with meat in general it gets a bad rap you know a lot of hormones being injected them injected into them so how do you raise your chickens how healthy are they we, yeah, so we, we take uh, a lot of attention to detail and pride in the way that we, we raise them here in New Zealand. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know how much you know about New Zealand, but if you fly over the country, there's, um, there's a heck of a lot of green. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks stunning. Yeah, so so we use that land to raise them. So there's there's lots of land. Um, We raise them in barns um, and temperature-controlled barns so it's not too hot, not too cold, and chickens wander outside and they graze outside in the open pastures during the day and they go into the barns at night. Um, And the New Zealand animal welfare standard that's set is super strict. So things like hormones are banned from New Zealand, so no chicken um, in New Zealand will have added hormones in it. Um, wow, it, the hormones are actually banned. Yeah, ba- banned from from use in New Zealand. So, That's amazing. You know, any any chicken that you get here, yeah, you, know, you can be assured that you won't have added hormones to it. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. So, um, how many teagle chicken nuggets do you have in your freezer right now? How many do you eat in a week? Because you're the marketing <laughs> manager, you've got to keep supporting it. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we eat a lot of chicken. Like we first thing we did when I started this company a few years back was buy a big chest freezer and I filled it up um chocolate mm-hmm. blocks so you can barely get the lid on. Yeah, so whenever we go out to a restaurant we, we, we actually don't order chicken because we're absolutely sick of it because we have it pretty much for a five nights a week. But the good thing with chicken is it's so versatile and yeah, you can have whole birds, you can have you know, coated chicken, you can have stir fries, you can have mince, you can have you know, you you, you name it, you can imagine it, you can create it with chicken. And it's such a super healthy protein as well. You know, it's low fat, high protein. It doesn't have those negative uh, red meat um, benefits uh, uh, factors that you hear, you know, advertised. So it is, um, you know, one of those proteins that you can eat um, as much as you like, and it's, it's not going to have any ill effects on your body. So where do we see the future of Teagle? Do we have, you know, more flavors, more ranges? Can you see it expanding more? Because you're already supplying overseas. Yeah, I think I think free range is, is definitely the future. Um, yeah, consumers are saying that they want to know that not only is the food on their plate, um, you know, tasting good, but they want to know that it's come from a um, supply chain that's really looked after the you know raised those birds right from the beginning. And so, um, you know, we're moving our whole supply chain effectively into free range um, over time. And, um, yeah, consumers are loving it. And I think Spinney's has been one of the first customers um, on board with that that's really got behind um, free range. And they've, they've sort of moved across into that um, into that uh, range as well. Um, so, that, yeah, that, that's a biggie for us as well. But I think the future for our products is um, lots of convenience. So consumers don't want to be slaving over the, 
over their kitchens for, for hours on end creating dishes. Um, you know, every day we want to come up with products that we've done the hard work for them. Um, and they also deliver not only on taste, but on um, on those health benefits as well, being low-fat, high-protein, things like that. Okay, well, uh, Craig, thank you so much. Hopefully, um, you know, with all that beautiful land, lockdown is treating you fairly well. You've got plenty of walks to do and stuff. And uh, when you come to Dubai, let's go to Spinney's together and get some teagle chicken. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Thanks, you too. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. So now we're talking about melons. Yes, I'm dedicating a segment just to melons. And I have to say, being a presenter for 20 years, I have never, ever spoken about melons. So this is a first for me. And talking to me about this is Neil Gibson. He's the category manager of produce at Spinney's. Just off air, I did ask Neil, what did he have for breakfast? It was so healthy, but I realized there was not a melon in sight on your breakfast. Why is that? I'm not massively keen on melons. There's only a few of them that I really like, which I'll talk about. I didn't actually have those available in my fridge this morning so i went for blueberries this morning okay so we're talking about melons are they in season i mean i'm confused what's going on because you have them at spinnies are they in season all the time where do you get them from give me some information so right now they're in season in spain and countries like turkey and iran um so we we, we buy them from all these different countries in in, uh, in northern europe right now the spanish season is probably the best place to to buy them from mm. and that season will run from say june to september and then we move to uh, more tropical climes like brazil and those kind of countries so are there particular different i mean there's like you've got watermelons you've got those yellow melons there's all kinds so what do spinnies provide well right now we love um there's three different melons that we think are fantastic right now and these are all grown in the Cartagena region in the south of Spain near Murcia, mm. um, where the soil is super fertile, uh, the water is really good quality, and, and the climate's pretty unique there. And that gives a, a really high sugar level, which we, we, we like when we find a really enjoyable melon to eat. So the three that I think are, are probably the best eating right now, are they've got some quite unusual names. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the three. One's called Waikiki, one's called Liliap, and one's called Jimbi. Are they, um, are they all from Asia? No, no, they're all they're all from um, from from Spain, but they're they're bred by um, these expert melon breeders who have come up with these wacky names for them to try and get across the uh, unusual flavours that we've got going on. Yeah. So, what flavours are we talking about? Well, Kiki, first of all, that's the cool thing about this one is it's uh, it's coloured. So outside it's got a pearly white skin, but inside it's got like a, an intense salmon-coloured flesh, and it's really crispy, refreshing. And I'd say quite aromatic, so it's, it's got a, it's got a, almost like a perfume flavour. But that's that's fairly mild, but it's, it's something which uh, really adds to the overall taste on that one. And then Jimby, um, again, is really unusual in terms of its dark orange inside, and that's super sweet. So it's like uh, almost like mango sweet, um, and it's a super rich, super sweet flavour. That's a, that's a really good one. Um, you know, great for dinner parties great for barbecues etc and then lily up is a little little mini version of the gallium melon which is quite well known and that's uh, that's sweet and uh, and juicy this one you just you just cut it in half and you can just scoop out the flesh a bit like a an egg or something so it's quite a fun one to, to eat and now i'm not expecting you to be an expert i'm just going to ask you in case you know but how do you know that a melon is a good to pick up from the supermarket and take home like do we need to do a test do we need to knock it on the skin some people like to smell the melons. You, you often see that if you're in 
and they're viewing a market in uh, the south of France or in Spain. You watch people in market stores, and the and the locals often, quite often pick up the the melons and interact with them and, and smell them. And, and when you can smell the the aroma of the melon coming from the melon, that's that's clearly a good sign that it's uh, that it's getting to its uh, to its most uh, tasty and, and ripest state. That's interesting. I've never I've never done that before. Smelt a, a melon. I've actually thought I've just touched <laughs> it and thought, do you think it's ready to? And you know, until I've cut into it, then I've realised maybe it was overripe or underripe. So, um, what those three would you say are the best melons to eat now? I would say my my preference is the Jimby. That's my favourite one. Super sweet, um, and uh, you know, I, I do quite like. I've got quite a sweet tooth. I do like a you know fruit that's got higher sugar level, but also a rich flavour. So that's my favourite. Okay, and we can find all of these in Spinneys. And I have I have a little melon fact for you, which I'm sure you know, but I thought I'd share it with you and everyone else on there. So, have you heard of the Yubari King melon? No, I haven't. Well, here, here's one for you. The Yubari King melon, it's the most expensive melon in the world. It's got a very unique sweet flavor and it only grows in a small region of Japan. And guess how much two of these melons recently sold for? Oh, maybe £100? Oh, sorry, dollars. Uh, $20,000. Wow. Can you? I really want to try this. The thing is, if you're spending twenty thousand on a melon, there's no way I'd even ever cut it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd have to have it on display, wouldn't you, on a, a centerpiece in your in your uh, in your lounge or something? So we are in Dubai, so you need to get the Yubari King melon over here, so we can have like the most expensive melon. You know, we like our food world it. records. I want it. <laughs> thank you very much for the tip I'll be working on that one alright Neil thank you so much for joining us and giving us all the information and hopefully chat to you soon thanks so much you too take care The Chef's Table welcome back now let's see this weekend if you didn't know it's Emirati Women's Day that's on Saturday the 28th so uh, we're celebrating all the talented female Emiratis out there and one of them is a pastry chef at my local hotel, the Burj El Arab. <laughs> I'm joking. Chef Saha Al Awadi, how are you? Hi, Cornell. How are you? I'm good. You're good. Amazing. So, um, you, your local workplace is the Burj Al Arab. So, let me ask you a question. You know, when guests go, we go in the main, uh, over the main bridge. Do you do the same entrance or do you have a secret underground through the oceans and entrance? No, I actually do have the privilege of taking that same bridge every day when I go to work, and it's just the best way to start the day. So how long have you been working there? Five years. So what was it like on your first day when you thought, wow, I'm, I'm working at one of the most exclusive hotels in the world? I know. I, I, I never would have thought that I would be able to work at Burj Al Arab, like in, in my wildest dreams, and like... I still look back at it. I think it's like it's kind of ridiculous that I work at Virgin Arab like every day. So, do you do you <laughs> find I, it hard to go to like an average hotel now just for for a meal? I'm kind of thinking you must be. No, not at all. <laughs> because like every every hotel and every restaurant has its own soul and personality, mm. and it's kind of like what um, you know. It's part of like a city life and part yeah. of Dubai to have so many different. Um, so many different like aesthetics and, and personalities in restaurants. Do you know, it's funny, when I first came to Dubai many, many years ago, I treated my parents and we stayed there the night and um, they said you have a butler in your room for 24 hours. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I did not know what to ask this butler because me and my par- parents are very sufficient. We didn't really need anything. So I, yeah. I had to make excuses. And then at one point, <laughs> my dad called him in and said, let's, you know, where are you from, young man? You know, I was just having a conversation <laughs> because I think he, we weren't calling him. I didn't know what to do. I needed an excuse. <laughs> anyway. It's also a, a great way to, like, interact with the butlers. I mean, they make great conversations, so that's not a bad thing. No, we became really good friends. I mean, I really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, but I know it's extended now. I haven't been there since the new pool has been been added to it that looks amazing do you get time as the pastry chef to even experience the hotel you know funny that you should say that because i've been working there for five years and i have yet to stay in the hotel no way yeah (laughs) so i've got there before you you did you got there before me (laughs) so Um, so tell tell me about your journey to becoming a pastry chef because i hear that your mom was an amazing cook so oh, what yeah. yeah so what made you turn to pastry? So pastry is like pastry is a little bit more technical than like hot kitchens or cold kitchens because mm-hmm. everything is so meticulous and in, in, in measurements and method and mixing and it's it's almost like being in a lab or like chemistry and that's what I really love about it the fact that like you know, when you're what you're when you're doing what you're doing, when you're in that moment, you're just in that moment, you can't be distracted, you can't be, you know, going rogue on on recipes or things like that. And I and I love the fact that you're just in that moment, you're just focusing on what you're doing. And, and what you start off with, it's a completely different reaction than what you end up with. I can imagine when you're that focused, it can take you into like a meditative space and that's all you yeah. can think about. Yeah, partially. I mean, that's how it started for me to like de-stress and just, um, you know, learn to be more and more patient mm. is just start baking. You know, I, I think two of the hardest jobs, I mean, there's loads actually, is being a stand-up comedian <laughs> and um, being a chef. And the reason I said a chef is because uh, I've interviewed so many chefs um, in the past 10 years in the kitchens and I get hot in there. They're standing in there for hours. Um, and also sometimes none of them leave the kitchen to even get appreciated by the customers. How many hours a day are you working on your feet as a chef? Uh, on average, between um, 12 to 14. Are you standing yeah. for most of that? Uh, pretty much standing and running wow. around for most of it, yeah. So how, I mean, how mentally exhausting is that on your body and your mind? Um, you sort of, you know, somewhat get used to it, but also you start to, like, learn uh, more about your body and your mind and how to recover faster. Um, but it also, I guess, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to to function that way, right? Yeah, I mean, I heard there's a movement to focus on chefs' mental health these days. Have you heard of this? I have, I have, and it's. Um, I think it's fantastic because I think it's very overseen. The fact that you know it's a job that takes toll on you physically, mentally, and emotionally. Yeah. Um, because there's so much that goes into what we do. Mm. It, it's not just about you know just making a dish you know it's about sourcing the ingredients it's about 
building a team and working well with your team. It's about making sure that you're consistent all the time, that the guests come back and they have the same experience over and over. And and sometimes it's, um, it's heartbreaking because you spend so much time and thought into, for example, one dish, mm. and it literally takes somebody five seconds to, 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 to tell you whether they like it or not. Yeah, exactly. It personal. Yeah, it becomes personal, but, you know, it takes a lot of training to get to a place where um, you have balance. Mm. Yeah, I know. So tell yeah. me how, um, when you go home or when you go to family or friends, do they say, can you make me some pastry? And do you say, I've just worked 14-hour shift? No. <laughs> yes. So on Fridays, my parents have everybody over. Yeah. So all the family comes over. And on Fridays is when my mom is like, can you bake a cake? And I'm like, just, I, don't, I, I, I can't. <laughs> you know what you need to do? Don't don't tell the Bergel Arab. Just steal one that hasn't been eaten that you've made. It, you, don't, you know, they will never know. You're this pastry chef. You walk around with pastry boxes all the time. Yeah, t- technically I did make it, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. You just I, made I it the day it. before. <laughs> you did make I it. I made it. I own it. <laughs> so so how are you celebrating um, Emirati Women's uh, Day this weekend? Um, Baking a I cake? Just, <laughs> baking. <laughs> um, definitely, you know, it, it somehow coincides with my birthday. So it's always nice to have like everybody around and celebrate together. But So your birthday is on the 28th? No, on the 24th. So it's kind of close mm-hmm. and like celebrating on Friday. Um, but, you know, I think that the UAE has been amazing with supporting Emirati women throughout the year. Um, and, and and just, you know, it, it it feels amazing to be part of that community. And so just, you know, supporting each other, trying to like show people what Emirati women are doing in the workforce. Um, the different uh, paths that they're taking, the unconventional careers that they're starting. It's just about kind of showing people more and more that there are just no limits to what we can do. The Chef's Table. So, Chef Sahar, um, we I want to ask you, first of all, do you think um, Emirati dishes um, are are not getting as much attention as they should do? Uh, I do feel that, and I feel like for the longest time, everybody was cooking Emirati food at home, and it took us a while to start opening Emirati restaurants, mm. but I see that there's a boom in that um, that market right now, and, I, and I'm really glad that people can start to experience um, Emirati food. So what... Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. So which restaurants would you recommend when it comes to Emirati food? Uh, uh, Al is great. Where's, uh, where is that? So they've got a couple of, uh, locations. One is in Festival City and mm-hmm. that's their main branch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have another one that's located in Jumeirah One where the archaeological site is. Um, yes, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, we're going to go through some of the delicacies for Emirati dishes. I'm going to get Zina, my producer, involved in this because she writes things down for me and expects me just to say them and I make a <laughs> fool of myself. Yeah. So with the three of us are going to, no, the two of us are going to make a fool of ourselves. So the, <laughs> we're going to pronounce the first one each. Now, bear in mind, I'm a Brit Indian. She's Filipino. So these are going to be great accents coming out. I'm going to ask Zina to first uh, say the first one. And if you understand it, and tell us how we pronounce it. 
Okay, here goes. But also, I want to know what it is. Yes, we need to know what it is afterwards. <laughs> okay, it's Kuzi or Guzi. So it's actually Guzi. So it's a Gra. 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 Oh no, I can never do that. Yeah. <laughs> and what is and what is that? So Guzi is a whole lamb that's uh, stuffed with really aromatic rice. That's um, basically spiced with cinnamon, cloves. Um, uh, cardamom and they, it, you, you stuff the, the whole lamb with mm-hmm. rice and you cook it all together. So the lamb starts to, uh, sorry, the rice starts to cook with the, the juices and the flavor from the lamb. It's roasted. Okay, okay. So yeah. now so now it's my turn, all right? And you can tell me what this is and if I'm pronouncing it right or wrong. Okay. Uh, Nashef. Di Nashef. Oh, Di Nashef. Uh, yeah. So we'll break it down. Di is chicken, mm-hmm. so like Dajaj, but with the Emirati dialect, mm-hmm. we turn the J to a Y, so it's Di. And mm-hmm. uh, Nashif means dry, so it's more of like um, a chicken that's cooked in in like a tomato sauce. Okay, okay. Well, We're learning some good Emirati words here, actually. That's good yeah. to know. Um, yeah. Okay, Zina, it's over to you. Well, the next one is, uh, I'm pretty sure I'll nail this. Khobos <laughs> Wagafi. Oh, you did that really well. well. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. I'm not yes. Marathi, but you did that really well, Zina. I was practicing it in my head <laughs> all morning, and I think it's traditional Emirati bread, right? It's uh, it's found a lot in the Emirates, but I think it's high, it dates back to Iran. So it's a Wagafi bread, um, and it's basically all the little bakeries that you um, you know, in Satwa or in Bar Dubai or wherever you go, the small bakeries baking the huge bread, those are Khadzwa Gafi. Okay. So the next one is uh, my turn. Rabian Mashwi? Yeah, very good. <laughs> wow, I can speak Emirati. Very I didn't good. know. Yeah. Okay, what is that? Uh, Rabian is shrimp. Mashwi is grilled. So grilled shrimp. Grilled shrimp. Okay, Zina, over to you. Yeah, I love a bit of grilled shrimp, but this one, uh, Chef, is, I understand, a meat dish. It's called Saluna Dea Mahudar. Uh, yes. So, Saluna is, uh, is a stew, and then it could be either with uh, meat or fish or chicken or shrimp. And Khabar is vegetable. So, it's a, it's a tomato-based stew. Uh, cooked with, with with whatever protein that you like and mm. mixed vegetables. Usually it's it's potatoes or uh, lentils, uh, things like that. You know, as you're saying that, I'm, my stomach is rumbling. I can just... Feel, I'm, this always happens when I do Helen's show in, on a Thursday. I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. Okay, the next one is kabisa. Kabisa uh, is a dessert. So it's more like... A, um, it, it has spices in it, so it has rose, it has cardamom, and it, like it's pretty famous around the GCC. Yeah, it's cooked with really good um, ghee or clarified butter and mm. semolina. You know, when you talk about spices and Emirati dishes, um, yeah. like being Indian, obviously we throw green chili in everything, even probably in a pastry. Yeah. How, how spicy mm-hmm. are Emirati dishes? Because I don't remember them being. And what kind of spices do you use? Uh, not very spicy, um, but usually the spices that we use in uh, in this area are something like cinnamon, cardamom, 
the, the very gentle, the very gentle spices, and not the hot chili yes. ones. Yes, uh, Emirati food isn't by nature is not a, a chili or spicy food. So you don't use the green or red chili in any any dish. I mean, people do, uh, but it's it's kind of a preference. Mm. Kind of a preference, and and Emirati food is, is broken down into you. I would say maybe two or three different categories. Mm. So one category is more of uh, you know the seaside Emirates where they eat more predominantly fish or seafood. And then there's a farmer's diet where it was more of like the Bedouins that are more inland. So mm-hmm. they'll eat more um, meat or chicken or, or whatever they have on hand, camel. Um, and then, yeah. So uh, as as a woman, a chef who knows her food and her pastries has top taste, where is the ultimate place you'd love to eat? Is there a place here in the UAE, across the world? What is your cuisine and where would it be? Oh, man, that's so tough. I know I like asking the tough questions. That's tough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, what are you in the mood for right now, if, tonight, if you had to choose something? Don't think about the only tonight, one. If I had to eat something tonight, I would eat, I would eat a really good bowl of pasta. What's on this pasta? Plain? <laughs> um, my favorite pasta is just like a very simple pasta with, with pecorino cheese and pepper. So oh. ketchup pepe. Yeah, I, I, I feel it. If that's made well and fresh, that is amazing. Okay, yeah. so uh, Chef Saha, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, when do me and Zina get to taste your pastries in the Burj Al Arab? Yeah, When's the invite? You're welcome whenever you want. <laughs> Be careful. You, you know, know we we're, will be we're, there. We're in the same family. <laughs> My house is your house. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, your house is bigger than mine, though. <laughs> okay, Chef Saha, thank you so much. The Chef's Table. Okay, so one man who isn't going through pu- puberty right now is Chef Avnish Gautama. How are you, Chef? Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Now, you are the head chef at Dialogue. Um, It's a new venue at the Majestic Hotel. Tell everybody where the Majestic Hotel is. Uh, So, the Majestic Hotel is in Bar Dubai, in the old part of Dubai. So, we are a new place. We are a a lounge and a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And we are like, you know, like a modern Indian cuisine, trying, you know, like upbeat so that in night, you know, it comes out into like a little ice clubbing. Center yeah, I, night, I, I, yeah, I saw it said the after dark restaurant. Is that when it comes alive after, after like 10 p.m.? Yes, after 10, 10 30, it comes out. But before that, the food makes it alive, if I can say that myself. So tell me about the food. What kind of things do you serve? Because you've got some interesting names as well. Like a- so, so I have, uh, we're doing like a modern Indian cuisine. So I'm doing like something like a chicken tikka with couscous. I'm doing a tandoori prawn ricciardo with a coconut curry, mm-hmm. which are all these are takes on <clears throat> classic Indian dishes, but then, you know, like modernizing it, you know, making presentation a little more upbeat for people. Yeah. But obviously with Instagram and social media, everyone wants to take a picture and they'll be noticed wherever they go. What, what do, who, you know, when you fuse, a lot of people um, do fusion kinds of food. You know, you've put couscous with the Indian food, which is very unusual. You've got Japanese people who might fuse it with something Western. Um, do you find the people who are more Western like these kind of fusion rather than, let's say, me being an Indian <laughs> who's no, grown up with? Let's see, if everyone in, in Dubai, you know, you have the, uh, multiple, you know, like nationalities to stay here. Mm. Everyone's had couscous with chicken. 
you know, that's a very Arabic thing. You know, you have you know your roasted chicken with couscous. Yes. I'm just making an Indian dish out of the same thing. I'm just interpreting it in my way. So, I know Indian food. Yeah. I'm just trying to make it with the Arabic influences. So, do you just are you like a little scientist in the kitchen? You just mix and match and try different things. I try that most of the times, and if I'm lucky, it comes out right. Otherwise, well, it goes in the bin, and I try something new. So, what inspires you to try new things? Is it um, eating at other restaurants? Is it seeing something? It is basically everything from childhood plus, you know, like people talking to people and meeting new people every day as well, and plus going to different restaurants. You know, like I was just um, like the, the prawn ricciardo is something which I grew up eating because my grandmom. Yes. So it is, you know, those are the inspirations that I draw out. Like I was talking to one of the owners here, and he said, "Let's do a sandwich." So the ran sandal, which is there on my menu, yeah. is a take on a sandwich, but it's a classic um, mutton dish in India. Mm. So I mix the two and made out. So whatever people like, I talk to people, I understand what they want to eat, and then I try creating dishes out of them. So in basic, it is basically the people who are making the menu for me. Oh, uh, yeah, say. yeah. So who, who test tastes all this food? Do you get your team to also test it, or any family members and set, get the you know? So, so the actual tasting happens with my team first, and the the menu, the ideas goes out with my wife because she knows. I tell her the ideas. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is not what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And then she breaks down and says, "No, this may not work." Then I have a little argument with her, and I always win. And then you always put it on sorry, my menu. Did you just say you always win on air against well, your wife? Did you just say that line? <laughs> I'm taking. I think I'll take it out for dinner soon. <laughs> You're going to have to now. That's all on air and it's going to be on the podcast. So she's going to hear it back. Okay. You better apologize to her live on air right now. I will. I will. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's going to take you out for dinner. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm not kind of splitting you guys up no having an problem. argument. Okay. Oh, fine. I can cook something. Yeah, just cook her something. Um, now, training as a chef, I've always said training as a chef is, is hard. I said it in the previous segment, you know, stand-up comedy and being a chef is a tough job, those two. Uh, and you can ask any chef, especially for those who have had Gordon Ramsay throw a saucepan at them. Have you had any unpleasant experiences or challenges? Because it is tough. But, um, so when I started off, you know, when I started off in 2009, I was working with a hotel in India called ITC. But there was the first time, you know, when you enter the kitchen, mm. I, and I still remember that because I didn't know how to cut a pineapple and I was getting it wrong every single time. Oh. And I started getting whacked left, right and center. What? Hang on a minute. Because, they whacked you? Yep. Was this Gordon Ramsay in your kitchen? <laughs> no. This is my own. I, ha- I had my own set of Gordon Ramsay. Oh, no. You're serious. Yep. It's fine. Now, that's what made me a better chef, I can say. I would have cried in the corner and left and gone and been an accountant. I would have said, forget this chef work. Well, luckily, unlucky, unfortunately for me, I think there was no corners in my kitchen at that time. Because everything was round. Yeah, but I don't think you need... I mean, do people have to treat chefs like that to like toughen them up and get to that expertise? Or do you think it depends on the I character? Guess it, is, it, is, it is important. You know, like, you'll see... As chefs, we don't really meet the customer till the, till the time he's not eating our food. Exactly. So we are basically trying to please someone mm. without knowing anything about him. You know, when you meet someone, you know exactly how to talk to them. If I see you face to face, I'll be yeah. able to talk to you better. Yeah. I'll know what you are, what yeah. your nature, your mood is. Yeah. But as a chef, I really don't know that. I just know like you've ordered this dish. I don't know whether you like it salty, whether you like it spicy, whether you like it less spicy. And I'm trying to give you something and trying to make you happy. Yeah. But if you don't like the food... Everything else goes down the drain for me then after that. The Chef's Table. Okay, so uh, Chef Avnish uh, Gutama, uh, let me ask you a few things about you and get to know you. Where were you sure. born? 
I was born in Bombay, in Mumbai. Yeah. And how long were you and there for? I've, I've been there all my life. I think I moved to Dubai in 2016. Oh, so you, you're that. quite new then to Dubai. Yes. Wow. And so when you moved here you, as a chef, where was your first job? Uh, I was working with Farzi Cafe. Yeah. I was working for Zikap City Walk, and then I was there for five years, and then shifted to Dialogue in this June. And and are the head chefs here better than the ones that treated you when they whacked you over the head when you were training back in India? Well, my head chef here was a nice chef. Like he did give me his own set of whacking, but obviously Aww. not physically hitting me. But Aww. I did have my own. To be honest with you, there's so many utensils in the kitchen from a saucepan to a wooden spoon. It's very easy to want to whack someone after 12 hour shift or something. I can imagine. Yeah, you can, you know, we, have sh- we have heavy shoes as well. We can oh. kick people if you want to. Yeah. Why do you have heavy shoes? Tell everyone that. Well, because uh, obviously for safety reasons, so the, the, the toes are the ones which have a steel toe in front of it. Because mm-hmm. in case of any pots or pants fall on your feet, yeah. at least you don't break your toes yeah. on your feet. So yeah. that's one of the basic reasons. And have you ever had a, need, sorry? Has a knife ever fallen on your shoe? No. Okay, that's good. So we can't wear I've flip-flops. Got oh, you've got I can, I've got cut. That's okay. Okay. So what is your first favorite foodie memory? you know, a place that you ate and you can, you'll always remember that? Well, I think my first uh, favorite thing was we Sundays at home because I think that was the day in every Indian household would be when the non-veg used to be made. So going to my grandma's house is that we prawns or fish or chicken that used to be made. Yeah. And in terms of restaurants, I think there was this restaurant in um, in India, in Bombay called Jewel of India. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time when I went to a fine dining restaurant and they had a buffet and everything and they had like, different types of cuts and everything. Yeah. And it was the first time as a 10-year-old kid, you know, when you see all this, yeah. you've not seen anything. And that was like something which, you know, like struck me like, whoa, this is not what mom makes at home. So, so was it quite early on when you thought, I actually want to make cooking and being not, a chef a career? Not really. Not really. I think I was 15 when I decided I think I want to be a chef. Yeah. That's after I finished my 10th grade. I thought, let's do and go and do this because one, it was it it looked you know like fun. And I've gone to restaurants and you know it it always seemed fun. But when I actually entered the industry, that's when I realized that it's not fun. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work. I know the hours that you do. I mean, I sometimes when I finish my show uh, for three hours, mentally talking, you th- you're on you're you're enjoying it in the moment, and then you go, you're like. Wow, I've just spoken for three hours. Mentally, I'm tired. So when I think about you as a chef, 10, 12, 13, 14 hour shifts, it's quite intense. Well, it's fun. You know, like that's you the thing. enjoy yourself. Yes, when you're having fun, you don't notice yeah. it, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you talked about your grandmother. I do know there's so <clears throat> many chefs always talk about they learn stuff from their grandmother. Um, was it your grandmother that taught you or your, or your mom? No, actually, I've not known to by any of my family members. It was always there to like, like see something, and like try and okay, this is what they should do. I should never really was not really impressed in the kitchen to go and learn it from someone. Mm-hmm. But it should be like we left home at home alone. You know, if I was we staying alone, mm-hmm. I had to mix and match whatever was there in the fridge, mix and put them together and eat it myself. And those are those are the things that I learned. Oh. You know, like whether it's like something which is left over, like is there some salad there, mix it with something else, and you know create a dish for myself so and repeat it. you're an adventurous cook from the from day one? Yes, kind of. Yeah, I like that. I open the fridge and I just think, let's see what's going to happen today. I'm, I'm the yeah. same as you. All right, well, Chef, it's been very nice getting to know you and we can find a dialogue at the Majestic Hotel in Bur, Dubai. And hopefully I'll get the gang and we'll come down and taste some food soon. Please.
Lisa. Thank you so, so much. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. So, um, have you ever heard of a, a supper club? I've actually um, been to one. Zina, have you ever been to one? No, I don't think I have. I always, like, you know, look them up on the internet. I hear about them and I see them on social media. But I have actually never been to a supper club here in Dubai or um, elsewhere. Well, luckily I'm here. I'm going to get us invited to the next one, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have um, a lovely lady by the name of Gabriella Grasser, also known as Gigi, and she runs Girl and the Goose, which is a Nicar- Nicaraguan supper club that people apparently are queuing up for. Hi, Gigi. How are you? Hola, Punan. Thank you so much for having me on today. I should say hola too. That's about as far <laughs> as I can go. So, um, so tell me, uh, you were raised in uh, Nicaragua, which is, that's next, that's between Brazil and Mexico, is that right? Somewhere in between. It's actually in Central America. Nicaragua is a very tiny country that is in the center of Latin America. We are approximately 14,000 kilometers away from Dubai only. Only. That's not too bad. Okay, you can swim across the ocean. So um, tell everybody, what is this supper club that you've started? And I've never even tried Nicaraguan food, so we're going to go over that after. But what is the supper club? Is it secret? <laughs> it's an underground community. Ooh, I love that. But my journey itself started um, a couple of years back when I will see myself cooking for 10, 15, 20 people at home. And I actually wanted to know at some point if people will be really interested in trying Nicaraguan food. And beyond that, if they were interested in having healthy food. And this is how one of my closest friends, Jill, and my dear husband, they gave me that push of confidence that I needed to start my own underground dining. And this is how I dream became a reality, bringing a little bit of Nicaragua closer to Dubai. So I actually um, started asking random people just to come and eat at home to see if they really want it. And people just loved it. And the feedback was just so positive that that really inspired me to start running this underground dining. So does it take place at your house, you said? Exactly. It takes place, uh, it's actually at my home. And I run this supper club six to eight times Per month. Per month. Okay, so what will people experience when they come? What time does it start? How many dishes? And what kind of food uh, are we looking at? What kind of food is Nicaraguan food? First of all, um, let's talk about Nicaraguan food. When you think about Nicaraguan food, think about Central American and Mexican being, being the same. But also we have so many ingredients that are very similar to Thailand. So this is where I want to position the Nicaraguan food. I want to elevate the dishes. So when you come home for one of the experience, first of all, you're going to be welcomed by a warm hola. Welcome home. Hola. Como esta? Hola. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and after that, you will be taken into a culinary journey through Nicaragua, where I serve five to seven dishes Mm. of traditional Nicaraguan recipes because I grew up with my grandmother and she was a chef. So I grew up with all those recipes, but also the way that I have made them is that they have an 
a healthy twist to it, which means you will be able to enjoy five courses without feeling guilty because I substitute, for example, this the regular sugar with zero calorie sugar or everything is made from scratch, so it's gluten-free. And I try to use as much as possible products that are farm or locally sourced. So because uh, Nicaragua, where it's located, the ocean is all around you, I'm assuming fish is a big part of your dishes. Absolutely. We have um, a lot of seafood. Mm. And one one of the main things that I'm trying to do now is improving our ceviches. Because when you think about ceviche, the first country that comes to your head is Peru. Right? Oh, yeah. And I do love ceviches. Yeah, you're exactly. right. Exactly. So what I'm trying to do is just taking that basic ceviche that we have in Central America or in Nicaragua and elevating the flavors and using all the products that are available to me. And for example, one of the ceviches that I came up with and it was very successful was the passion fruit ceviche and the most recent was the coconut ceviche. Coconut. So um, how, I mean, every country has different ingredients due to the climate. Has it been easy to get a lot of the ingredients here? Absolutely. This is one of the things that um, I'm, I'm really grateful of living in Dubai because you get products from everywhere in the world. I'll tell you a funny story. Yeah. Before, I used to come from Nicaragua like with five kilos of red kidney beans because I thought in my head that I was not going to be able to find that specific red kidney beans. Mm. And one day I'm just walking through the supermarket and there it was, the rashma beans, which are the same beans that we use at home. Okay. And since then I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I don't really need to uh, travel that far to get the products that I need. They are the specific products that I get them from home because I can't get them here, for example. I do get them, but I, that's my personal touch. I come from a family that is coffee producers. So the coffee that I use in my supper club come from my dad's plantations, wow. as same as, as the sesame seeds or the cacao beans, the achote. So there's certain elements that I still bring them from home. But in general, in Dubai, you can find all your products. So you, when you serve this five-course dinner for 12 to 20 people at home, how many hours ahead are you cooking and preparing for this? It depends. There are certain dishes that it requires me 24 hours, 48 hours to prepare them. And there's some others that I do them during the day. So around 24 hours, depending on the type of dish. For example, the last dish that I had was a cinnamon ice cream and everything is done at home. Wow. So the, the cinnamon ice cream, it takes about 24 hours because the mix itself, you're not supposed to um, serve it fresh. You first let it rest and then you start making the ice cream. But I'm just thinking you and your husband like to have people who are strangers in your house. You must have to be really good hosts as well, because I I can imagine if me and Zena came, I mean, we would eat so much. We would just be chatting and we probably wouldn't leave till midnight. So how do you how do you cope with that? Because you're not a restaurant where people come have a table for two hours and then leave. But I think this is the beauty of the underground dinings, you know, the opportunity that you have to meet so many different people with super interesting background. And we really enjoy hosting. And 
when I'm not hosting, I really don't feel happy because I feel that there is an empty mm. space at home. And I, it, having people home, it really feeds my soul. They are so kind. They are, they, they come and they embrace everyone. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. So I'm talking to Gigi, who has started an underground Nicaraguan. I can't even say that properly. I'm saying it fast so you don't realize I'm saying it. It's hard to say. An underground supper club. Now, Gigi, someone has just texted in, Elisa, and she says, how has COVID affected um, organizing these dinners at home and how do they take place? Because I think she's interested in coming. That's a very interesting question mm. and one that's a very interesting question and one that we all are trying to navigate. Yeah. We all do our part when it comes to COVID and thanks to the authorities we are most of us now vaccinated and this is a great thing because this allows us at least to always keeping um, the social distance and the restrictions that allow us still to meet others in a safe environment. So it's called the website and the Instagram page, social media is called The Girl and Goose. Why that name? It's really funny because in Nicaragua, we are very superstitious. And um, I didn't know how to call the concept. And one night I went to bed and I had a dream. And in this dream, there was a goose that was chasing me to bite me. And it was very distressful. <laughs> so in the morning, I actually did a little bit of research before naming the concept. And what I find out, it was, it, I just really love. And I cannot trust, I can relate to that. Three things that really like about it is one, the goose is associated with long migratory journeys. And this is how I see myself. I came from the faraway land, Nicaragua, all the way to Dubai. Wow. And it has been an amazing experience. The second one, the goose is associated with discipline and perseverance. And this is what every dish and every night I put into um, the experience, uh, discipline and perseverance. And the last one, it actually has to do with the time of the pharaohs mm. back in Egypt. And they used to believe that a Nile goose will lay an egg every morning. And from that egg will hatch the sun. And that represented hope. And I just love that. Wow. What originally brought you to Dubai all the way from Nicaragua? Um, I, actually, I finished university back in the U.S. and I went back to Nicaragua and I was just ready to go to Spain to do my master's and suddenly I have this urge just to travel the world, to see the world. And I was actually, I was on holidays in Argentina and over there, there was this airline recruiting and I just love those red bold lips and I was like, what is that? Mm And I just went inside the open day and they're like, would you like to work with us? And I was like, absolutely. And this was a massive change in my life, especially coming from a culture that we're very close and we don't leave home until you're married. Oh, that, that's Meaning. like me. I'd still be at home now if I wasn't in Dubai. That's how it is with <laughs> the Indian families. Same. Exactly. We're the same. I will still be home. And I just left and I embarked into this journey. And 12 years later, I found love, 
and I'm lucky to call to buy my home. Okay, I, I read something. There's two things I read on your website, which I really want to bring up, and I hope you don't mind <laughs> this. This, this, I love the fact that you wrote this on your website. And when I read it, I thought, did I, did I just read that right? And it said, one night you swiped right and you met your amazing husband. Please tell me more. That is so intriguing. <laughs> what, what, what were you swiping right on? <laughs> it was an app that is everywhere. Can I say the name of the app? I guess. Yes. I think we all know what the uh, app is. Yeah, yeah we, we know all the app. And um, I went on t- onto that app because I was pushed by a friend. Her name is actually Alisa. And I was a little bit hesitant because if I meet someone there, how am I going to explain my parents that I met my husband on an app? I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> exactly. But I went there and I don't have much experience on the app because Jaimo, that's the name of my husband, he was the only one that I went for a coffee. Yeah. And a month later, I knew I was going to marry him, but he didn't know. They yet. never do. They're always behind the women. They never know this. You have to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly what I did, you know, like slowly but steady, I told him. Um, and this is how how I met the my partner in crime and my biggest cheerleader. And how does he support you in this? Does he cook? Does he wash the dishes? What does he do? Is he any good? He, <laughs> he eats a lot, by the oh, way. Oh, wow. Oh, well, you've got a greedy husband. There you go. You should swipe left. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I, I'm, um, I'm really grateful for having him in my life. Yeah. He got, obviously, his own job and his own company. And every now and then, um, he assists me uh, hosting. So he will basically clear the plates or talk to people. And I, that's a d- dynamic that I really love during the supper clubs. And beyond that, he's always someone that is um, trying to help me to be better. Yeah. And to and he helped me to understand myself and and he's the person that I always admire and he always gives me the best advice. That's amazing. You did you did the right swipe there. Your intuition chose well. So um I've had a text from Tracy. She says I traveled to Nicaragua in nineteen ninety nine. She went no. to San Juan. Uh, no, uh, San Juan del Sur with a friend who was working in the Peace Corps. She said they had the most amazing ceviche on the beach and it's a beautiful country. Oh, so, thank you so much. That's so lovely. So Tracy, hear. you can now try that ceviche with Gigi in this underground supper <laughs> club. How can people come and, and try this? Where can they find you? People book through the Instagram account at Gerandi Goose. But all Dubai Eye listeners can also follow the account to find out for the upcoming events. Mm-hmm. I post them um, once or twice a month. It depends on my um, on my schedule. And this is how like how they can um, reach out to find out about um, the dates and the events. Amazing. No, I, th- I mean, I'm really intri- intrigued. This is uh, really, I love underground supper clubs. Um, and you know what? I did meet somebody who started this and she now has her own restaurant. So is that a goal that you have? At the moment, my main goal is to elevate the Nicaraguan cuisine mm. and make our traditional recipes into something more into fine dining. I also want to inspire people um, to eat a little bit more healthy. I want to to show them that healthy food doesn't have to be boring. And the last one is next year, um, I got accepted to a culinary institute. So I will be in Barcelona for six months, mm-hmm. uh, a special 
doing a specialization in integrative healthy cooking and molecular gastronomy. Wow. So that will be right now in my pipeline. I absolutely um, admire the journey of, um, of uh, Nida. And she is someone that, Niha, sorry, Niha, and she's someone that I'm sure everyone in the community look up to. Yes, yes, absolutely. And just one final thing. The second thing I read on your website, which I wanted to point out, which I loved, and I think this probably sums up the whole experience at your supper club, and that is you love feeding the soul one spoon at a time. And I just thought, wow, I can imagine the, the, the feeling of the ambience that you create and the food. You truly are eating that food, appreciating the taste, the gratitude and the, you know, the flavors of it. I think we as a chef, we have a big responsibility. It's not only about the products that we use, because we also have to be conscious of how we're dealing with the nature, Mm -hmm. but it's also what we're putting in everybody's belly. I believe that our body is a temple. And we have to look after that. And this is when you come here, I feel grateful that I'm able to nourish you through my food. Okay, well, Gigi, I am definitely going to come and try this. I have to say it's so unique and I've never tried Nicaraguan food. So thank you so much to Gigi from Girl and the Goose. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to have you both at one of my tables. Maybe soon. Very soon.